Welcome to Martial Wisdom. Here you can listen to conversations on all kinds of topics related to martial arts. In today's episode, we discuss a controversial topic, and that is, is Aikido a complete art? Joining me for this discussion is Dan Trelescu. Before we start, please consider supporting the show. You can subscribe to the Spirit Aikido online program, which currently contains more than 170 videos. Another option is to contribute any amount you like through the PayPal tip jar. Even small contributions are greatly appreciated. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, on with the discussion. Welcome to Modern Aikido's podcast. Today I've got on Dan Philip Trelescu, and he's an Aikidoka, an instructor from the UK, and he's also gotten into teaching uh, practical self-defense. And I came across him on a podcast that was wonderful uh, that he was on with Ian Abernathy. And I'm going to post a link to it in the show. Everybody should go check it out. But when I heard it, I just really had to talk with Dan. So Dan, welcome. And thank you for taking the time. Thank you, Tristan. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Um, well, before we get into our topic, uh, maybe you could give a, just a little bit of a background of, of your martial art journey. Sure. The most classic, which is I started when I got to university. So I was there. There were a couple of martial arts clubs. I happened to walk into Aikido first. You know, um, so I've been doing that for about 15 years. Um, I got into kickboxing about six months after I started Aikido, which was a little bit different. And then sort of caught the bug and dabbled in a bunch of other stuff while I was at uni. And uh, after, um, started reading a few things about self-defense uh, kind of a few years into training and started talking to some people and realizing that maybe there's a little bit more to the story. Um, started uh, randomly saw that Rory Miller was in the UK for a seminar went there to train with him been training with him ever since about a decade now um, and then some other people through that and uh, work took me to a couple of places eventually Cyprus where I kind of inherited a dojo so someone was there and he was teaching and I was training there for two years and then he said he didn't want to do it anymore and asked if I wanted to kind of keep it going and then uh, that's when I started kind of like I had been training self-defense in Aikido myself before that, but then I started also teaching it and kind of seeing about combining those things. And yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, cool. yeah, you know, I've got a high regard for, for Rory Miller. I think his book meditations on violence was probably the most profound book on martial arts I've ever read. Um, and that's saying something because I'm a bit of a bookworm when it comes to it, I, I will dig in and, and into a lot of books, but it was a, a really good wake up call for the difference between training in a dojo and then what goes on with real violence. Um, yeah, 100%. And that was one of the first books I read that sort of opened the door to exploring more with uh, reality based training. And, and like you, I, I found live people that could mentor me with that. And I've been doing that 10, 12 years now. And I, I view that that those experiences are invaluable, not just the reading the books, but the training with people who have real life experience and I, I put Rory right up there at the top of um, the top scale of a ton of real world experience. Um, well, the, the topic we wanted to get into today is, um, is Aikido a complete art? And in order to set the stage for the conversation, I think we can cover the first thing, which for any intelligent discussion is to make sure our terms are defined correctly. And that is the a complete art, martial art is not one that includes every technique that has ever been used in combat since time began. Uh, and I think that 
it's easy to think, well, no art is complete. So therefore that's the excuse for why a super specialized art can only have like just a few things that it does and it misses a lot of general things. I think the question would be, is Aikido a comprehensive art or is it well-rounded enough to be a basis for martial art training? Um, so when, when we say, is it a complete art? It doesn't mean, can it do everything? And are practitioners of Aikido able to deal with, have every tool at their disposal? As I think that that's just a ridiculous premise anyway. Um, what are your thoughts on, on that approach? Well, first, I mean, with the question, is Aikido a complete art? Clearly, we're really staying away from controversial topics here. Um, <laughs> you know? But um, yeah, I 100% agree that we need to define the terms because when people say complete art, particularly on the internet, they mean very, very different things. Mm -hmm. And like you say, I think the does it do everything is an unrealistic premise because whenever someone says that, like my art is complete because they have all ranges of combat or something like this, if you use a definition of ranges of combat that's performed by another art or somebody else, generally they don't anymore. It's only by their own definition that they have everything. That's usually right. the case. So um, I think for me, there are two definitions of complete art in the way that it's used that actually makes sense. And one of them is that it, like you said, it's comprehensive enough to allow this for a martial endeavor of whatever, whatever fight kind of image you have in your head, you know, whether that's self-defense, whether that's sporting combat, whether that's historical combat, you have whatever you have, that art has enough different things to be applicable to that domain. Mm -hmm. And I think the other definition for me that makes sense and I'm not sure complete is the best word, but sometimes when people use it and you dig down, this is what they mean, is that it's internally consistent. So that for the specific, within the training environment that the martial art has and for its its own goals for martial training, it does everything that it claims to do, sure. if that makes sense, right? Yeah, I um, think so. Sorry? I, I think so. I, kind of like a, a boxer would say, my art is complete because he would go into a boxing realm and he knows everything that a box, that he would face in a boxing match, kind of. Yes. That, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, basically. Yeah, it's within the realm of my training. This art functions without adding anything else to it, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, can we agree that those are sort of two different definitions that both might be? Oh, absolutely. Sort of, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I wanted to clarify this, not to say that I think we, you and I were going to be on a, on a total different wavelength, but as listeners come in, especially you listen to anything on the internet, a, a, a classic skill of finding, well, what can I argue with? What can I pick? Yeah, away yeah, at? yeah. You know, like, let's make sure that we got the ground rules of, of what we want to talk about. And the, the, the complete art opens the door for so many different interpretations that Oh, yeah. right from the get-go somebody can say nope it can never be so there's no point to even discussing it um and i think that there's there's room in there especially as people look at like a potential person says maybe i want to i want to take up martial arts and i've been asked by so many people like what art would be good for me or what you know what should i be looking for in a martial art and because they're lay people they they have no idea about the depth of martial arts and they they, they are kind of like uh, going to buy a car and they want to sort of kick the tires like okay is this one got the features i want or is this one does, does not um and they often think that well i want one that includes kicking punching weapons grappling you know all kinds of different things and you know like they would buy a car that's got air conditioning and power windows and heated seats and the whole nine yards and and 
this might this show might actually help somebody understand better like what sort of martial art would I want to get into uh, just as a sideline but I think it from we practitioners realizing if that is the sort of person that is looking for an art I think what they don't really want to hear is well we only do a couple little things like the car we're selling really only has one seat in it and it doesn't have power anything and it doesn't have air conditioning but it's not supposed to you know it's kind of a marketing issue as much as it is a practical function issue and you know once you get into practicing the art and are in it for a while you think of it in terms of function like what can my our martial art do but we're missing I, I think the the part of the image of what what Aikido tends to be viewed as and I mean I don't like thinking of any art just as a collection of techniques but to say that well we just do a bunch of throws and joint locking like that's kind of the layperson's view of of Aikido um, similar to the fact that they looked at judo as well it's a bunch of throw hip throws you know it's simplistic it's not accurate but it's yet that's the perception yeah I mean I think as you say like when someone comes looking for to use the same analogy, a car, in this case, a martial art, the first question should be, what are you going to use it for? Mm -hmm. Right? Because you want a sports car that's going to be different than you want something that can go off road, which is mm -hmm. different than you live somewhere with rush hour traffic and bad parking. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I used to drive a smart when you're in a big city. It's, it's great. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're going on like 10 hour road trips, not so much. Right. <laughs> or you um, want to haul lumber. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's the same with martial arts. It's what is it for? for and they're starting to say i don't really know like that's that's cool then just taking a look at what's out there trying things but it's the one of the issues with defining complete art is that martial arts are generally they originally or their ancestor arts arose in situations of conflict right that's the whole point and so they tend to be designed with particular conflicts in mind and it's not so much a case of design no one went there and said well i think this is the fight we're going to have you know this is what we'll do with it. These fights happened, people did things, some of these things worked and they got codified and then they got refined by people who had time on their hands because they weren't fighting all the time, right? That's, that's how sure. we end up with martial arts from fighting systems. Um, mm -hmm. And different arts have different things in mind with that. And I think like you say, it's a marketing issue. The problem becomes when what people are looking for and maybe what people are selling doesn't actually match what happens in the training environment. Absolutely. Right? And I mean, what you were saying with the, the image, so that's an interesting one for Aikido because the image that people see with Aikido is usually high-ranking instructor effortlessly throwing people around, which is really great. Like that is, you know, from a martial arts perspective, a lot of these guys are amazing. A lot of what they do is amazing, but without context, there's a few problems with that being kind of the image because people who don't have, any context of violence might go, oh, is this what a fight is actually gonna look like if I get that good? Probably not. You know, even for those guys, not, not really, not, not for real. The Ukes are doing quite a lot of the work, which doesn't take away from the skill, but it's, it's, a, it's its own particular thing. It's a particular martial practice. And it's a good one for driving people to kind of refine their technique and get really good at working with a compliant partner and, you know, beautiful movement and all that. And sure, some high level skills and principles you know, some people are really, really good at that, but it's, it's a particular image. And if you just see that, it gives you one particular idea. And that's not the only thing that, you know, can happen within this art, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. Um, and I, I think that 
you know, perception is always with any business is you, you say, how is my product or my service perceived? And that has a lot to do with the appeal. And I know that that uh, Aikido is having a, a, a big marketing issue these days, you know, with uh, waning popularity. And and uh, and I think a lot of the arguments and criticisms that are out there of Aikido, which I believe a lot of them are quite valid, are that the, that it's drifted so far away from practicality that it's become its chore a choreographed dance kind of practice, which it's it's fine. It's, it's there's no disrespect to the physical learning of of complicated choreography, but the idea that somebody says, "Well, I want to get I want to learn to protect myself," and they see a disconnect with that, and I think perhaps with with YouTube videos of of fights, real fights, and and um, real violence, even a layperson can see an Aikido demonstration and see a real fight and say, these things don't look anything like one another. Like they're, it's so blatant. And I think the um, having the light, that light of truth and reality shown uh, makes some people feel uncomfortable, especially in the Aikido world where it starts to tear away the, the illusion that what they're doing is real world practical. And what I've noticed from a lot of the Aikido community, not all of it, but, but a good portion of it is the response has been to shrink away and say, we're not doing that at all. We're not training or, or training our students for, to be practically self uh, defend themselves from violence. Like they just kind of walked away. And I, I think that that's a, a distancing from something that, that Osensei would find probably not, he would not be impressed by that. Because I, I, the impression I got of him is that he was very much intent on protecting himself and that his martial art was capable of doing that. And the same thing with Gozo Shioda, you know, all of the, the primary students and, and the students of that age. Yeah, I mean, one interesting thing is that, you know, a lot of these people live during a time of quite extreme violence in terms of wars and things like this and has certainly had some exposure to it. Mm -hmm. And... With Osensei in particular, his attitude shifted quite a lot throughout his lifetime. And it's very difficult to untangle how much of a shift in Aikido culture came from that and how much came from just Japan's shift after World War II, which was mm -hmm. sort of an overall thing. Sure. And then how much of the modern Aikido attitude is marketing because we are the peaceful martial art is a really mm -hmm. nice niche, especially when Aikido was being proliferated, when everybody else was doing something different, right? Everybody else is going, we're so badass. And... And these guys show up and go like, well, we're peaceful. Come train with us. Right. We're nice. You know, sure. um, and I think for, for me, you know, we have this, this sounds weird coming from me because obviously I like doing self-defense training and I like my training to be practical. And that's what I want to give to students. But I think in the martial arts, we are a little obsessed with it sometimes. Like there's a lot of good practices that have nothing to do with self-defense. And, but when you ask people like, do you do competition? No, we don't do any competition. That's fine. Do you do any spiritual stuff? No, we don't do any of that. That's fine. So do you also not do self-defense? Of course we do self-defense. Everyone feels like they kind of need to do right. that. Um, and I think, as you said, with an Aikido, sometimes you get this, I, I actually like it when people say explicitly, this is not what we do. Because I think when a martial arts student shows up, if it's not said explicitly, they assume they are getting self-defense training, right? Mm -hmm. and that's just, I think that's universal. Yeah. The they think martial they arts, self-defense. Exactly. And it's, it's better when you say explicitly, on the other hand, I think some people want to have their cake and eat it too, kind of present themselves as doing like a practical martial art, but then 
when actually asked, do you do any of this stuff for self-defense? No, we're not really interested in that. That wink, wink thing. And I think that's, uh, that I'm not so cool with. It's like, you know, right. if you're not doing it, and the additional layer is when those people tend to talk trash about how dangerous their art is, and that's why they don't do it, is it would kill somebody. And well, how do you know? You know, it's how, how can you, how, how can you have an, an arrogance like that when you have not really gone and trained into that or have performed in that level? Um, yeah, you know, and there's plenty of videos of, of bursting, of seeing those bubbles burst when when challenged, and and uh, you know, there's plenty of that out there to see. Well, that, that's an interesting one that you bring up with the challenges because I mean, you know, I, the argument is valid that sparring isn't like real, but it's a it's a great training tool, and it's right. a great tool for having a bit of a reality check sometimes. You know, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, but something that you see, and this is not universal to Aikido, you see this in a lot of martial arts that, or particular groups within martial arts that don't have sparring is when they're first exposed to it, something tends to happen. So you, you see this in a lot of things that know it, it happens in karate is someone who doesn't do a lot of sparring, but is a high rank, goes and decides to spar at contact. And they will generally get beaten up. That's what would happen. That's certainly what happened to me the first time I sparred, right? That's sure. that's just how it works. Sparring is it, you know this. I know you have a background in full contact. You yep. know the sparring is its own skill set. It the is. first time you do it, you will not be very good at it. Um, and what tends to happen is people's reactions, they tend to go one or the other extreme. Either they go, oh, this sparring is bullshit. I'm never doing this again. You know, go back. Or they tend to go, everything I've done so far is BS. I'm not going to go train in that. And trash talk my old art all the time because yep. you know I, i've now discovered that this is so much better whereas from i this is from a podcast i cannot remember which one of who was on it that does full contact sparring and they were talking about it took people who came from other dojos who didn't have the background about a year to catch up mm -hmm. and that isn't like a year to get to the level of someone who's been doing it a year that's a year to catch up to their previous rank to what they actually had so it takes time. So when you introduce these, these things, people often kind of want to do a, oh, we're going to do like one reality check and see how this works. It's like, no, you need to do that consistently and train within it. Yep. You know, and you need to do different ones because, I mean, let's be real. Nothing we do in the dojo is 100% real. Right. right? It's and it can't be. Like that's an unsolvable training problem. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because we're not like, we're quite rightly, we're not comfortable just going like, okay, guys, we're going to test this. Here's two sharp knives, you know, go. Right. Mm -hmm. that, that's not, you know, so everything we have to, we have to work around it. And I think one of the things that, you know, we can talk about with Aikido is the, because um, specialization of technique is one thing, but it's also very specialized in training method. Yes. Right. Most dojos pretty much only do one thing. Mm -hmm. And well, yeah. It, yeah. 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 The, and what is I was thinking about preparing for this episode, I, I've always liked when you study something that happens in history, almost always you have to study what led up to it. Like where did, what was the circumstance that brought that occurrence about? And then you just keep going back, like what caused that to come about? And then what caused that to come about? And where I, I with this subject, where I came back to was so many people in the mid 20th century who came to Osensei to, to learn from him were high level martial artists already in judo, sumo, karate, 
I mean, these are like black belt level martial artists. And so it would make sense to me that Osensei didn't say, I'm going to go teach you, reteach you what you already know. He said, all right, I'm not going to bother teaching a bunch of hip throws to a bunch of judo people. Instead, I'm going to add to what you already have and, and add on to that understanding. And it, there's probably some significant alterations from whatever background those people had. But then you take a, imagine a student coming and saying, I don't have any background whatsoever. I don't know how to do throws. I don't, nothing. Teach me from the very beginning. Can you take what he taught to advanced martial artists as an add-on and make that the foundation of its whole another art and have students who become powerful martial artists on their own without any of that other background stuff? Or did he ever say, okay, well, you don't have any judo in your background. Let's cover some judo throws so you know what all these other guys know. I've never heard of that happening, but I guess that's my basic question is, if that training methodology is what was copied and which the Japanese love to do is they'll take the template they inherited and they'll just keep copying it, copying it. Was it complete to start out with much less to deal with any signal degradation of you just copying what was done before you, because you'll always lose a little bit of clarity and, and whatnot, especially without any competition or testing of technique. What are your thoughts on, on that origin? Well, that's a really interesting thing to look at uh, I, I agree with you pretty much like that's if you look at Aikido I mean we, we have to remember that we are working with incomplete information here like none of us have a time machine we can't go look totally, back yeah. and you know, see what exactly happened and then adding to that when you're talking about self-defense you're also applying it to an imperfectly defined problem right because self-defense mm -hmm. means so many different things to many different people but just from the from the perspective of the yeah I, I think Aikido makes a lot more sense if somebody already knows what a fight looks like right if they have the background um aikido as a, as a fighting uh, as a martial art it makes more sense if you assume that somebody already knows how to fight now that's um not necessarily a bad thing a few years ago somebody asked me we were attending we were sitting around afterwards and people from a couple of different arts and somebody asked so what's the unique thing about aikido you know because they they Jiu-Jitsu, the Japanese styles kind of tend to specialize. So it becomes judo, it becomes karate. You know, they just do the striking. They don't just do the striking, but that's often the perception. Judo has the throws. They've um, how what what does Aikido specialize in? And at the time, I didn't have a really good answer. So I was like, yeah, well, we do joint locks and you know throwing and this. But mm -hmm. actually, Aikido kept a different piece of sort of the old school arts. And the thing that, to my impression, Aikido kept is it didn't turn into a fighting art. Most other martial arts, as they went into the modern day, transformed into fighting arts, even if they weren't to begin with. It, it became about this kind of one-on-one, -on -one, you know, fighting, winning the fight. Um, that's not a that's not a criticism. That can that's a good thing. You know, you get good training like that. But that's what most of them transformed into. Aikido, to my mind, is one of the few that didn't have that transformation. So that's something that, to me, makes it suitable for self-defense because. The strategy of most martial arts for self-defense is, um, you know, I'm losing because self-defense, I start out losing. I'm going to turn this into a fight and then I'm going to win that fight, which is a great strategy if you know how to fight. Aikido strategy, something is happening. I'm going to, you know, blend, harmonize, basically accept what's happening and deal with it immediately. And the situation is resolved which as an ideal right of course that requires a training process that often doesn't match 
it doesn't look that simple in, in practice. The training process is quite messy. Um, but the downside is that just training like this, you don't actually learn how to fight. And to tie it back to what you originally said, um, that was often assumed knowledge. Sure. And uh, the question is, when you, when you do Aikido now, when you teach now, you have to make a decision. Are you going to teach the martial art without that and make it you know, as good as you can as a, as a martial art and the students who want to learn to fight go somewhere else? Are you going to primarily teach people who already have a previous background, which I think is a difficult business model? Very much um, so. Or are you going to teach those skills or related skills within your training? Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's my take on that is you have to make that decision because I, I can't be hundred percent certain, but I agree with you that it seems that this was assumed knowledge and I don't, I have never read or seen anything that suggests that kind of that was actually taught to people who didn't have it before. Right. Well, and that, and that has some, some pretty big implications on instructors and dojo owners who inherited a curriculum. And I, I count myself in that same boat. I inherited the curriculum of the organization I started in and I used their process. I mean, because that makes sense, right? That's what you were taught. But then to realize, is this complete enough to take somebody from a raw beginner? And I mean, I started with, uh, you know, a 12 year old girl, she had no martial art background. She started shortly after I did, you know, what, what did it take to get her to a point where she had, was a well-rounded martial artist and could defend herself if somebody put her hands on her. And uh, she wound up, I wound up kind of being her mentor in preparing her for a black belt test. And I, it was that point when I, I kind of awakened and said, we need to do a few more things than what we've been prepared to do than just the wrist grabs and the shoulder grabs and the, you know, and the shomenuchis and, and the, the just straight, straight punches, lunge punches. Um, I felt like, you know, there was a kinship to her. I felt like she was almost my daughter. You know, there was a great deal of, of, uh, you know, affection, not to sound creepy, but, you know, she was like one of my own. And I said, if, I, if I'm going to have her going about in the world, I want to make sure that she's does has got enough knowledge and skill to protect herself from what from from reality. And so that's, that's kind of the open door. And I think this was about when I was um, this is even just before I opened my own dojo was I took on that level of, you know, awareness of this very sure she was probably, I don't know, five foot two or something like that. And I'm like, I want to make sure she's potent, you know, she's capable. Um, and with that level of seriousness, it wasn't just a student to me. It was somebody very, you know, that I cared about. Um, and, and I think in looking that opened the door for me to say, what does my curriculum need to include to make sure that I do have well-rounded students? Like, and so bringing in things uh, learning judo and, and teaching some basic judo throws, not to, not to say that they're, you know, my students are ready to go into a judo competition, but the, some of their hip throws are fantastic. I mean, judo has got it down when it comes to their throws. They've got some fantastic stuff. And granted, they've got some, just like Aikido, they've got some very intricate stuff that takes a lot of practice to get down. But some of their, some of their basics are just phenomenal. And I, I could say the same thing about virtually every martial art I've ever come across. Same kind of thing. Uh, they've got some great basics that, that can be learned and absorbed quickly, and it doesn't take a ton of 
practice and dedication of you know years or decades to get good at that i think most every martial artist should know or have some exposure to so that's where that forming your curriculum and not just staying with what you inherited i think is an important thing what uh, what are your thoughts on that um yeah I, I agree with you i mean i i think the curriculum forming is that's that's not an easy thing to do like i know it isn't that was I, I probably the most serious and sobering uh it took me years to kind of start to rationalize how to do it in a way that was respectful, smart, organized, not haphazard, you know, or accidental or just appearing to be chaotic. It had to be, you know, orderly and sensible. And the hardest thing was, what do I start to trim out? Because you only have limited training time. If you, you can't just keep adding things in, you have to start to put stuff on the back burner and start taking things out on it. That's what, I, what worried me the most. Yeah, I mean, okay, so I have a couple of thoughts on this because what you said is spot on. Like that um, was my experience. I when I um, inherited the dojo, initially we still had I used the syllabus from my teachers from my organization, mm -hmm. um, and um, that, partly because I wasn't confident in grading people, so I would have people over to do gradings and you know how it is in the mm -hmm. beginning. Um, and but what I realized fairly quickly was that what was happening was that we were doing our normal training and then a couple of weeks before the grading we were training people differently so they could pass the grading. Right. And I called up my instructor and I said, look, uh, this is what's happening. This isn't really the point of grading, so is it? You know, the, the point is not to train for the test. And I was like, look, are you okay if I make my own syllabus? Which in, to his credit, he was 100% okay with it. He said, yes, I know you, oh, I trust fantastic. Which doesn't happen that much. It was like, send it to me. You it know? is, it's, it's pretty yeah. rare. That's, that's good. Yeah, and my, I mean, my parameters were, you know, I was wanted to bring in self-defense stuff. And I also wanted to keep enough of the classics in there that if, because I knew I was at some point going to leave, if my students go to another dojo, their mm -hmm. skill is appropriate for the rank. Mm-hmm. So we had, we still had the classic stuff. It's not like we suddenly threw out everything and, you know, right. You, yeah, know you can't do that. You, do, you can't just start with a blank slate entirely. You got to evolve. So, it. Yeah. You, you can add stuff. You can integrate stuff with it, which is different than adding things. So this is, right. this is one of the, um, it, this is what makes it so difficult because martial arts, I mean, what almost everyone can agree on as far as Aikido, because people love to disagree about it, but almost everyone can agree that Osensei was a great martial artist like that he knew what he was doing. So he clearly had something in mind with this martial art and the thing makes sense together and good Aikido, even completely classical good Aikido is, is a great thing to experience. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know some instructors they, who do classical Aikido who are amazing, mm -hmm. you know, so when you're, but then there's the question of, you know, okay, they can pull it off. That might be different for a student. I might want to do something else, but the, um, the thing is, when you're bringing things in, they have to fit. It's not as simple as just going like, oh, well, you know, that art has cool knife defenses and that art has good grappling and that art has nice takedowns. We'll just graft them on because you end up with some kind of Frankenstein's thing where they don't really fit the original thing anymore. And like what I said before, with Aikido doesn't turn it into a fight. I think also with training methods, you have to be careful because sparring and those are wonderful methods. But if that becomes your basis very quickly, what you end up having is that you have a fighting art primarily and that's cool but why are you doing aikido there's there's good fighting arts out there with more of a history in that who are probably better at it right um i think you absolutely should have them as training methods and you should use them to 
try things and especially experiencing variability and different inputs and you know an opponent who's giving you different problems to solve i mean i'm sure you agree with this that most real learning occurs by problem solving not by you know being told things right um right exactly so these are all things to consider when you're building a curriculum what what are you bringing in what are your goals what are the training methods to do what i would start with um this is this is my opinion for anyone listening what i would start with is what do you want to accomplish and what do you think you need to do to get that mm -hmm. if you want primarily want well-rounded martial artists you're probably going to have to bring in some fighting skills Absolutely. If you want self-defense, you are going to have to set aside some time for soft skills training. There's no way around it. People are going to need boundary setting. They're going to need to be trained in you know, awareness beyond just like, let's meditate. Mm -hmm. Body language, that sort of talk thing. About, need to practice that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you're going to need to learn like, you know, red flags and relationships is a huge one. So much bad stuff happens with that. You know, especially if you have younger students, they should know this stuff before they, uh, you know, before they hit university, let's say. Um, um, if we talk about escape, we need to practice it, you know, and then the next thing that I would say after you decide what are my goals, what do I think I need to do with that? And that's going to be a long trial and error process. Mm -hmm. It's what of this can I take that integrates well with my martial art? Because again, right. you can do parallel, right? Um, and that's kind of how I started. It was like, okay, we're going to do an hour of Aikido and then we're going to do an hour of self-defense. But that's that again, martial arts have this wonderful thing. They, they, through the principles, they integrate everything. You don't need to think about individual movements. You don't need to think about your strategy. It's all integrated within the art. So if you're teaching it separately, you're kind of losing that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's simple. You, you can have fun with it. The simple things like if you practice breakfalls, how many times do you practice getting up and sprinting out of that? Right. To practice escape, right? Somebody's throwing you. Okay, the next step is probably if you want to practice running away, well, let's actually practice it, you know, from yep. that. And it has also the side effect that suddenly people's alignment with their feet when they're rolling is better because with bad foot alignment, you're not sprinting out of that. Right. Um, so it, so you know, I think it doesn't. Tell you. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. As you bring that up, it's also a practice of Zanshin, which is not just saying a fight is or, a, or surviving violence is going to be once the break fall happens, it's over. Like, because we often do that. We'll segment down and say, we're going to hyper focus on this one particular moment of this violent exchange, whether it's I reverse a grip or I evade a punch and take control of a body. But as we know, it goes well, well beyond that. You know, how do you end it? If you drop somebody, now what? You know, if they pop back up, now you've got another problem. Do you go to a pin? If you go to a pin, how do you get back up out of the pin? And, you know, almost all of the Aikido practice that I had done, we'd go to a pin, you know, Uke would tap, and then you'd get up like everything was was cool again. Well, what if you get up and that person gets up and comes after you again? I mean, there's not to say that that we're going to get totally into the what if game, but I find that this was, and this is something that happened on a lot of, of te uh, rank tests, especially brown and black belt, where uh, the person testing would do the throw and then kind of turn away like they lost interest in they were thinking about the next thing they were going to do and my instructor would say you know you've lost your zanshin you've lost your remaining mind that person may still be a threat to you so keep your attention the whole time and but i found that we weren't practicing that during all training for the most part we'd only do like you said earlier we'd only do it for tests and so it's easy to you know what do they say you your performance will sink to the level of your training 
you know, what if your training is at a low level and you lose that Zanchin? You think, oh, I've got this. I, I, you know, took him off balance and I threw somebody down and he pops back up and now it's, now it's game on. Um, so yeah, I think that there's, there's quite a bit to it. Um, and, and I, I agree with you too. I wanted to also address the, the idea. And I, I think people will get this impression where they say, well, you know, I, I teach Aikido. I really like the, the classical Aikido that I've done and I teach in my dojo or that's in my dojo. I don't want to just slap on a combatives class to it or just carve out time to do combatives. Again, it's like you said, and you put this so well, I really like the integration part. It's not that Aikido, uh, the techniques and the, the principles are not applicable to the combative side. I found that they are. It took me a little while of training in the combative side to see it because it looked initially so different. But as I saw it, I kept finding principle after principle and teaching after teaching of Aikido that fit very, very well with the combative type uh, training, the, type, uh, the combative material. In fact, now I'd say my, the combative stuff that I do is kind of squarely right in the middle. And that's what I wanted to ask you about is what you found of the two of them, where your, your personal martial arts are. Um, do you feel that they're weighted towards the combative or weighted towards the Aikido or where, where along that spectrum are they? Have you really merged them and integrated them? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I think the most honest answer I can give is that it varies with different points in my life. Mm -hmm. um, so particularly when I was teaching and probably the last couple of years, um, so I have to get a tangent here, which is about cross-training. Sure. Um, so obviously one of the ways that we can address all these things is by cross-training and there's very different approaches to this. Um, I think Alyssa Amdur in his book talked about, you know, the like kind of two families, like you, your husband with two wives and, you know, you just, when you're with one, you just do that. But the, the, what I found for me, what made the biggest difference is when I had something to integrate my training. So I had one thing that is my core and everything else that I cross train is in service to that. So this is why, in my view, why, for example, MMA fighters don't have a lot of trouble with cross training because they know that the fighting, the rule system they fight under, this is the thing that integrates it for them, right? They have to step into that cage and do the thing. And so it's not a lot of the typical issues that pop up with cross-training with traditional martial artists who don't, who just go from one style to the other and then start, you know, getting footwork issues and principles issues is from that. Mm -hmm. So the, the reason for this tangent is because for me, when I started training with Rory and that, uh, that approach to self-defense, the physical part of that became the thing that everything else integrates in for me. Mm -hmm for some time. Now, I think currently I'm partly because of just what the options are during the pandemic. Um, I'm getting a little bit back into traditional martial arts a little bit more. I've had some, you know, great opportunities in online groups to just talk and study some wonderful obscure things. I've uh, started doing some Obagwa, which is, which I don't do for self-defense. I just really enjoy it. So I think the pendulum kind of swings. Um, probably self-defense is still my core. Uh, that's certainly, I, since I moved from Cyprus, I don't have a dojo anymore. I teach self-defense seminars sometimes. Hmm. So that's more in, in line with that. And that is the core, but I suspect that at some later point in my life that will swing, you know, the other way again. Sure. Um, one thing you were saying with the combatives in the Aikido, an interesting thing is if you look at a lot of martial arts that are generally regarded as more practical, the things that we do in Aikido, particularly body manipulation, is what they do at a very high level, generally. 
you know, this is, it's, uh, I, you know, you, if you just have the image of the wrist grabs and things, okay, that looks a bit basic, but a lot of the body manipulation that the way that the relationship between Uke and Tori works in Aikido, if you look at it from a martial perspective, this is things that you find in other martial arts at a high level. So it's good stuff. But like Absolutely. you said, it takes a while of training to get there in particular. And this is um, when you said with the, you know, what ifs if Uke gets up, how do you make that decision? Interestingly, my instructor is the same. You better have your attention in Uke and you better when they tap, you not get up and just kind of turn your back or even look away, you know. Um, but um, the, the thing is that what I think is missing from a lot of training is decision-making. Mm -hmm. If you have, Uke does one attack. Maybe Jiwaza, they do different attacks, but it's that one attack. And what you're working on is perfecting your response to that one attack, which is, it's nice. Mm -hmm. it's, it's good. It trains a lot of things. It gives you space to explore things in depth. You know, it can be a really wonderful practice. What it is missing is the idea of having to choose the right time to do these things, which particularly since Aikido is so dependent on what the other, it's so, you know, the whole Aiki blending harmony, it's so dependent on how they're moving. I mean, again, you can see this in a lot of the videos that you mentioned with challenges, people trying to grab someone's wrist and get a wrist lock on in the middle of a fight generally doesn't work. Correct. However, when they do something that already sets up most of what you need to be doing and you find that, it tends to work pretty well. But that requires you to actually have these problems to solve. And it's not, you don't need to go all out with intensity. You know, variability is just a good place to start. Very much so, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the, the questions that I wanted to pose is, is uh, can Aikido actually be an effective art with just that narrow foundation? Um, one of the things, by the way, that I found with, with adding in to, to the combative side to help provide a better foundation and then prov provide a better foundation for my students, um, I found that Irimi started coming out more. Um, mm. And I think that a lot of Aikido, modern Aikido that I have seen and encountered myself tends to be heavily weighted towards Tenkan, towards giving way, turning out of the way. And that's a valid strategy, but I think, I think there needs to be a 50-50 balance with the Arimi of entering. Because you, when you turn, the intention is you're going to end the, the you're going to end with it, with it, with a, um, an Arimi. You're setting up Uke to enter and end the, the violent part. And, uh, I guess if if Aikido is modern Aikido or the you know what's being taught by and large today is kind of brought down to the always give way always turn is that enough to establish a, a solid art alone or is that too hyper specialized um I mean my personal thought is like I said they, they need to be balanced and um but I think a lot of Aikido practitioners of view that a heavy duty Arimi is too uh invasive or too violent or too um, aggressive, perhaps. Maybe that's a big wad of questions to throw at you, but uh, they kind of link together. That's why I wanted to put them all together. Yeah, that's a, it's a good question. I mean, the, the, you know, can it be an effective martial arts Aikido as a whole? I, I'm going to say yes. It's not what I would choose to do. And if someone asked me, you know, what should I train for self-defense? Classical Aikido would not be the answer I would give them. Agreed. 
but there's a difference between can it be an effective art and is it the sort of best quickest way to get to where you want to go if your goal is self-defense mm -hmm. i think that there's a lot a lot of practices within aikido that cannot be effective sure. i mean you see you know youtube is full of it like it's, it's there's mm -hmm. there's so many i mean i um, as a tangent i think this can be a pitfall for kind of modifying the training mm -hmm. is when you see these videos that sometimes annoy me a little where it's like oh practitioner of this other martial art like fixes aikido technique and right. often the technique that is being shown isn't done particularly well um like one of those videos my instructor and i were watching and you know we're pausing it after the initial show and being like okay this is our comments and then unsurprisingly the other martial artist who was quite good gave similar comments mm -hmm. um and so somebody sent me a video of someone doing a modified thing like 20 minutes 20 minute video and asking like what do you think and I'm going, he's got some good points but also the way he does the classical technique is not great mm -hmm. you know so i think there's it's it, it's fair to say i think that most of what you see as aikido nowadays is not in that sense enough mm -hmm. i think that there are people within aikido who just do classical who absolutely can make it work um i have enough people in my degree who have used it for real to not you know not go okay it doesn't work you know my my impression is that yes you can make it work um i think that if you were to sort of circle back to the earlier what are you starting with as a base if Pure Aikido is your base. I think that the time frame for being effective for self-defense is unacceptable if that's your training goal. Right. Um, and a lot of organizations also won't teach you any applications either at all, like in that sort of way, or until you get to high, very high level. I mean, one person was telling me they don't teach that stuff before third done. That's mm -hmm. on average, maybe 10 years. Yeah, like, something like that. Yeah, like it's, I mean, that's... Okay, if, if your goal is you want to be practicing the martial art of Aikido and eventually adding these things in and being able mm -hmm. to use it, that's wonderful for you. But that's not if, if a student is coming in and is looking for self-defense, that's not an acceptable time frame for me. Yeah, if you wind up telling them, well, look at look forward to 10 or 12 years of training before you have some practical use. If they're kicking tires and they go find another art that says, you know, hey, you can train here for a year and mm -hmm. we'll get you some solid. Mm -hmm. some solid skills i mean that's kind of a no-brainer really um, yeah if that's, if that's what you want out of training absolutely and um i mean you know and it, it, the thing is that basic solid skills doesn't take that long right Correct. most the difference for self-defense for most people is getting them comfortable with hitting or moving a human body mm -hmm. getting them able to generate power for both of those things and then getting them solid soft skills and understanding of context those are the things that are the big wins yes absolutely um you know when you mentioned about the we we're talking about the foundation i was i recalled a, a a senpai of mine years ago and he came to aikido from a rukyu kempo background and i think he was nidan and in, in rukyu kempo and and he became nidan and then sandan in aikido and what i noticed about him is he you could really tell that that Kempo Karate was his core art and that he integrated the, the Aikido footwork and movement and he was smooth, but you could always see that explosiveness that was always there. Like you could look and see that core and it worked out really well for that. 
What I'm wondering is, is if the reverse were true. If somebody started with no martial background, got to be Shodan, Nidan, and Aikido, and then went to another art, would that Aikido always show through? Um, and I, and I, I, the answer is, to me, I don't know. I don't know if it would. Now, I, the only other example I can think of right offhand would be, um, oh, what's his name? Roy Dean, who went from Aikido, as I understand, mm -hmm. to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But I think that those are complementary arts in, in the sense that they neither use strength. They, they use leverage and evasive movement. Um, of course, the palette is a little different, you know, where it's uh, a lot of heavy grappling in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, whereas the, the standing throws and stuff in Aikido are a little different. But I think the principle is similar. And from what I understand, Roy Dean is a very talented Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner because of that. But I, 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 that's where I wonder, like, is the foundation sound? And, you know, I, one of the goals that I have with my students, and I, I think you mentioned this as well, is can they go visit another dojo and, and show that they are a respectable martial artist and have, and to me, that means, is their foundation broad enough that they, you know, don't get completely lost when somebody covers basic, uh, you know, how to, how to hit, how to punch, mm -hmm. or how to do some basic kicking or, you know, really anything that a good martial artist should know at least enough, some about. Well, what I can speak to that is I know a few people who where Aikido is their core art and they've gone to other things. Um, mm -hmm. And the ones I know, yes, that has generally been the case, but there are, I mean, let's be honest, there are people who are much better at Aikido than I am and some of me about are that. So there are people who are just very good. Um, mm -hmm. I also want just one one observation on that because we used to, what what my old club in, in um when I started at university, what they used to do, because I, because my wife finished a PhD there, so I would be coming back every once in a while, so we stayed in touch, and uh, they would bring someone over once a year to do a self-defense course. So they were there. My instructor there, he's very explicit. He's doing Aikido. He's not doing self-defense. He's mm -hmm. doing. He's actually doing it quite practically, and he's he's very good at what he does. But what he does is not self-defense. He makes that clear to his students. But what we used to do is we used to bring Rory over once a year to do a course. Or somebody else, or Randy King. Uh, now it's usually I go over once a year, or now via Zoom, you know, and do the things. And we get people in from Krav Maga, from other arts, other groups. Aikido people don't do appreciably worse at physical drills and self-defense classes than other martial artists. So Good. just, I mean, that's that's a small data point, but in my experience, sure. they don't do appreciably worse. Now there might be some sampling bias because, of course, I tend to organize and pick self-defense instructors whose stuff works for me and I'm from an Aikido background. So mm -hmm. this might be different if it's somebody else. But sure. my experience is that Aikidoka with a good training and you know do have that effect. And that's something with the training method in Aikido. It allows you to have good training, but it doesn't force you to do it. You see so many poor examples because if you have this cooperative training, this can be truly cooperative training where you know, the Ukas are very actively working to make Nage better and you're, you're really trying to improve everybody. It's a wonderful thing and you can learn very interesting things with that. And if you do it well enough, there are different teaching progressions. You know, Takemusu Aikido, which is what one of my friends does, has a different progression in terms of how they do the techniques than, say, Ki, which is my background, primarily. Um, and, um, but that training method also leaves you you space and for doing things that are not practical at all. And you wouldn't notice unless you interacted with somebody else because you're training the people how to respond to the techniques. 
Mm -hmm. Right. And sometimes you get people, you I'm sure you've experienced this where you're like training with someone new and they're like, no, you need to change your grip to this and this so that my technique will work, you know, right. type of thing. Um, so I, I think it, it allows it, it allows people to build a solid foundation, but it doesn't force it. And it's really dependent on who you get as an instructor and what dojo you're in. It, it is. And I think any, it, with so many discussions on the internet and, and in person, we talk, people talk about this art versus that art it's so easy to lose track of the fact that any martial art is not like a, a franchise where the experience is going to be same dojo to dojo instructor to instructor. In fact, it's so wildly different uh, that you can't even say that there's a, a, you know, this martial art is good or that one's bad. It really does come down to instructors. And that's one of those things with so many people, Oh, you're a martial artist. Well, I've been looking for a martial art. What should I look for? This is one of my top pieces of advice to them and say, really what you're looking for is a good instructor, a good mm -hmm. teacher. The art really is not that relevant. I mean, with some exception, obviously, if somebody's in their 40s learning uh, capoeira or, you know, taekwondo or something that's going to have a lot of hip, you know, hip mm -hmm. flexibility requirements, probably not for you. Uh, but by and large, if you get a good instructor that can take and make their art suitable for you and teach you what you need to get the most out of it, then that's going to be a good fit. Um, and, and I think Aikido, in, in, any Aikido instructor that views what they're teaching as like cookie cutter, everybody has to do things exactly the same way is going to miss that mark. Um, just because at least this is my experience, there are some Aikido techniques that suit shorter people, others that suit taller people. And you just can't say this is going to work. This one technique is going to work for everybody. And, you know, the one that comes to mind is Shionage, where you turn underneath somebody's shoulder. Yeah. I, that works great if, you're, if your uke is your height or a little taller or, one, or much taller. Or a, it works fantastic. But if they're shorter, and I'm 6'4", so, you know, I've when I try to do it on, you know, that, that young lady at 12 years old, and she was like 4 foot 11, it was a mess. Yeah, um, the, yeah. yeah so... And there are many examples of that, and you know, certain techniques will fit certain students better or not. But um, you know, I think the goal, in my opinion, for any martial arts, regardless of what art you teach, is your students should not have huge gaping holes of things they don't know how to do, um, even if it's not within strictly within your own curriculum. And I'd say one of those that that I think applies to Aikido is being able to hit hard, like not necessarily hit like Mike Tyson, but you should be able to throw some good boxing punches and know what they are and be able to, to deliver them decently well. Um, and if you can't, then how can you train to defend against them? Mm -hmm. Like that, that to me, it seems like a basic formula. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that, you know, again, if you're just doing martial art, I don't think we, don't think we need to reiterate this every time, but if you're just sure. doing martial arts, martial arts, like, you know, you do you, you don't need to have the strikes in there, but I agree that um, if nothing else, you want to have your UKES trained to be able to give solid attacks. I mean, one of my pet peeves, um, th there's a few things that I really dislike that you see a fair bit within Aikido, not, not so much in the good dojos. One is when you have, I don't know if you guys have this in your style, but when you have the throws that are like, you're throwing yourself because there's a hand coming at your head. Right. Type things right. like, no, if you don't throw yourself, they hit you. And the thing is that, yes, that's, those actually work when you have someone who does all the elements, which means that is a very, if it's a very convincing strike and they're off balancing you somewhere else, 
and you know they're doing the irimi the body movement and the the projection like uh, i mean the sort of projection of that those work pretty well the way that you see them done a lot it's like if i let you hit me with that nothing is going to happen to me right uh, there's no reason for me to throw myself um mm -hmm. and um one of a uh, friend of mine um Maja Soderholm, I hope I'm pronouncing Maja Soderholm, I'm pronouncing her name right. She's a Filipino sword instructor. She has this wonderful saying that if you want to learn how to fake, you have to be able to do it convincingly. You have to be able to actually yes. project the hit convincingly. Exactly. You have to sell it. And, and if, yeah. it's, if it doesn't look like it's got form behind it, good body mechanics, you won't sell it. If you can't do it, you probably can't sell it. Is, right. is is the thing right and mm -hmm. so i think that's that's and there's a lot of things like for example ground fighting um is something that aikido generally doesn't address mm -hmm. um i like i when i did the curriculum when kind of minimum viable so basically we're going to practice how to get up if somebody else is trying to pin you down we're going to cover a uh, one hour to me that's a must like that that that's a must for anything yeah regarding self self-defense or survival yeah, and it's not like it's it's hard to like you, you do a one hour class on principles of ground movement a couple of times and then you throw that drill in every once in a while because it's a safe drill. You're mm -hmm. not training people to be able to go to the local BJJ school and compete. That's ridiculous. Right. But mm -hmm. you just give people some basics. Um, one thing you said earlier uh, with, you know, different techniques to different students. So we actually addressed that in, in our curriculum. Mm -hmm from the yellow belt exam so from the first exam there's a space on the grading form where you tell me if two weeks in advance a technique that you want to do that's not already on there okay and we used to do that so that because some people are partly to get out of the idea that some techniques are so advanced because some people are really good at things that you'd norm at yellow belt that you'd normally see on like a blue belt syllabus and mm -hmm. this way they get a bit more individualization and you also start getting people used to having a bit more agency because i think one of the things that's often missed out in self-defense training is how do you interact with students in the dojo culture life because if you're training people to fall over every time you sneeze and you know scrape and mm -hmm. bow and do that all the time it doesn't really matter what techniques you do in the dojo you're not training them to defend themselves right you know? mm -hmm. yeah and that that aspect that has the well fighting has got the, the element of chaos in it it's things happen so unpredictably um you know, and both in the military and, and in sport fighting, they'll say that, you know, your plan just goes immediately out the window the minute the clash happens. And, um, you know, I think training for that chaos and uh, and I like I mean, the, the idea of stress inoculation to me is a crucial portion of it to realize I can have a plan, but I need to be ready to adapt when things don't go according to that plan. Or I try a technique and something goes wrong. Either I don't apply it right, I get evaded, somebody tries to reverse it, or just somebody's hurling in a direction that I didn't predict and now mm -hmm. things are going sideways. Like all of that part. And, and initially that seems daunting or frightening. What I've found is I start to, to introduce this and I found that it was, if, I, if you organize it and present it correctly, even brand new white belts can get into it. You can, I mean, you're not going crazy. You're starting it, but saying, this is what could really happen. Things could go wrong. And because everybody knows no matter what you do, you, you try something out, no matter what it is you're working on, things can go, go wrong. Like they, they like being taught to what to do when things go wrong or how to adapt, how to adjust. And then to keep their head, you know, you stay calm. If you're stuck on a choreography and things that breaks, 
you can panic. Well, the panic is the worst enemy of anything, of any survival. Um, but it's a, I found that it's a fun process. I have not had any of my students uh, get frightened or, or say, hey, this, this seems like it's too, too scary. You know, you can read when people start getting anxious or nervous or I don't know about this. You know, you want to have that training a little bit into the, out of the comfort zone, but not yeah. so far that they become paralyzed with fear. Um, yeah. And the more they get used to it, and it's a, I think it's a fun process and my students love it, especially when like, okay, we're going to do Randori tonight. Everybody's eyes light up like, oh, great. This is going to be fantastic. <laughs> um, it's, I think it's, it's an important part to get people used to that, that chaos and to be ready and to know that flexibility and movement uh, and, and, calm is going to be what prevails so that that's a really good point because the idea of aikido as a sort of the philosophical idea of aikido a lot of it is to be calm under pressure like incoming forces aren't something you need to be opposing you need to be tensing up with but it's uh, in my view and again for for my training for what i like to do it's better to, it's more useful to do that when there's actually something incoming that would tense you up. You need to train people. We need to practice under conditions that would be difficult for us. Mm -hmm. If someone is coming in with an out of distance, slow motion attack, it's easy to stay calm with that. Right. You know, if, uh, if it's more in chaos, you're not going to get there immediately, but it's, it's a good thing to practice towards. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, the other thing is that you were saying chaos, Aikido is, a martial art that adapts to the other person so much, you know, that is so focused on using gifts that appear in the middle of a fight. You know, it's so used to, oh, your arm is positioned this way, great, I can move it here. You're stepping this way, I can do this. It's so focused on this that it should thrive under chaos. The That's more a great is point. On, the more things you have to do. Um, and I think that the way it's classically trained, you have to be very, very good to get there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, I think it's one of, it's, a reasonably unproductive discussion to ask whether Shihan can make it work for real because it is mm -hmm. not relevant to us mere mortals, right? Um, right. But I think even so, not just people, there are people who are very good who can make it work like that. But I think maybe a faster way to get there, and because we know more about how coaching works these days, we have mm -hmm. lots of really good data from athletic coaching. It's, it's one of the things I love reading about. I did some research at uni, you know, looking into these things and just what um, what are the things, what are the elements psychologically and in terms of training that can speed up that process? And I think for the being able to use all of this, this Aiki, this adaptive part of Aikido, having some variable drills in it is one way to just speed it up massively. Um, not to mention that all of the research that I've come across suggests that if you're succeeding all the time while you're trying to learn something, you're not, your learning is very slow. Very you much need to so. be doing yeah. at the edge of failure, right? Or at mm -hmm. least reasonable degree of failure. Yeah. One of the It's around that, the, I think about 15, 20% failure was the optimum because that, that so 15, 20%. That like 50% was great for learning in theory, but people were getting too frustrated. Yes. So if it drops below 80%, then people start getting frustrated. Yeah, the one that I think, like, I don't know, um, when, when I started Aikido, the way that we usually train is, you know, every, you get four turns and then the other person gets four turns, like Azuki mm -hmm. or Nage. So yeah, one of the same thing. that I've played with is um, training ukes that, you know, the, um, and unfortunately I came across this after I was 
running the dojo. So I've only gotten to do it when I was back for seminars. Um, is telling Ukes, okay, what I want you to do is between each set, change your resistance. What you're aiming for is that Tori is successful 75% of the time. So three out of four times he can throw you. You're not changing your resistance within the set because that's you know messing up his, his feedback. But if he's managing less than that, he's up a bit. If he's managing more than that, if he's managing all, all of them, it's a bit. And I think that alone makes a massive, massive difference. It does. You know, um, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I wind up doing the same thing. In fact, I had a, a fellow student of mine. Uh, he was a, a, a Kohai, but he started shortly after I did. But we had the same intention. And rather than doing four and four, if we really got into a groove where we were starting to learn, I just say, keep keep coming. Just let's keep doing it. And, and we'd go, you know, a minute or two minutes, just mm -hmm. constant attack over and over where I could start adjusting and playing with, all right, does this work? Does that work? And, you know, fortunately, my instructor gave us the latitude to do that which instead mm -hmm. of sticking to the four by four formula. Right. Um, but it was a stage. You you get to that stage where you're like, okay, doing two and two is pretty comfortable. I can, you know, and then you adjust to, then the, the thing would be, I'd ask him, all right, give me some variables, switch up your footwork, change pressures, um, adapt you know, respond differently uh, rather than the same time, the same way every time, like be unpredictable, um, try to reverse it, throw a second attack in there, um, faint me, you know, do a double pump where, you, where I don't know exactly when you're coming in. All of these things were, I found very, very helpful. And this was more from an influence of what I, what I remember dealing with live opponents, what they would do. You know, they'd try to be unpredictable on purpose because deception is, you know, is, was warfare, is combat. Um, and it, I, I felt it was beneficial to my, to my Aikido and it was fun, fun to do with them, at least with him. Cause I know he was on the kind of the same frequency I was, and, but I wouldn't do it with every student. Cause you know, you can, you can get over their head really quick doing that, but the ones who are ready for it and you say, Hey, you know, let's take this a little farther and you get them out of their comfort zone. I like the way you describe that is a good UK won't let their Nage rest in a comfort zone. If they're getting 9,500% success. They got to start throwing in a little mm. bit of the unknown factor. Yeah, I mean, um, so th there's two things I want to say on that. One is that um, actually, uh, since we're talking about you know Aikido as a complete art, and this particular topic with the ukes, uh, one of my friends who's also an instructor of mine, he's just published a book where he, amongst he, it's literally called about Aikido, right? Mm -hmm. And he talks about Aikido and what it is and what it could be, maybe. And he's much more traditional than me in many ways, but he talks about if we train ukes properly, the way that it's described in the art, the way that it's suggested that they should be trained, um, what we get would look very different and probably quite a lot more practical, even without the great point. Elsewhere. And uh, that, um, I mean, I, we disagree on a couple of things, but that's, which is actually nice. I, I think, I don't think you should be required to agree with your instructors and everything. I think that would be strange, you know, and impossible. I mean, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, you get you get you get trained sycophanty, I guess, that way. Right. right? So right. And you need people to have productive discussions with, but I, I really like the way that he puts things in the book. So I do recommend that. And he's got some very interesting ideas of what if we trained Ukas properly. Mm -hmm. The other thing, which is actually to something you said earlier with this variability, that yes, you can start people on it very, very early. You can do very mm -hmm. easy drills. And that's something I got a huge amount of resistance with from some people. Mm -hmm. And there's a 
a really simple drill. And this is one I actually uh, took this one from Ian, although I can't find the video anymore from Ian Abernathy, um, mm -hmm. which is for risk grabs. You know, it's one of the first things we do, but often we lack context, right? They, they, they have some, some just teaching benefits, but they, and you know, there's the classical, oh, someone is trying to take your sword. Okay, we don't have swords anymore. Modern right. context, what do we do with this? Mm -hmm. um, and it can be the stop people from leaving, but one drill is, uh, as Tori, you're grabbing, okay, you're grabbing the throat, you're grabbing the face, you're grabbing the testicles, and then they will grab your wrist potentially. There's other things that they could do, but they might grab your wrist to get your hand off. And original drill, because it's from karate, you get your hand out, but for us, we can now play with the locks. And sure. no one's saying that's real. But it's, mm -hmm. it's just introducing these variables. But mm -hmm. even when I introduced that one, somebody who uh, was a little bit more of an advanced student also came and was like, what are you doing with this? And it's like, oh, we're doing this drill. I was like, yeah, but that's like really advanced. Like that guy's been training a few weeks. He's doing it fine. Like, right. That's, it's, right. It's, it's, it's not that there's the perception of what is advanced and difficult when it comes to these things is often a little bit skewed. You, you, have, you do have to be careful. Like you see some people bringing in um, things that students simply don't have the skills for. Right. Um, particularly with grappling, with clinch work, you sometimes see people bringing, like try to do it from this and the students clearly don't know how to do the basics of that. So it's just, that's not going to happen. Right. Um, so you have to be careful to introduce things progressively, mm -hmm. but you, you can absolutely do that, mm -hmm. you know, is, is my yeah. opinion. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, boy, I've i loved this discussion. I think we could probably go on for quite quite some time, and and uh, we've sort of branched out a little bit from it. But um, I'll I'll just say thank you for coming on the show, and I'll let you have the last word. Is there any kind of a wrap up point you'd like to like to make? And go right ahead. Uh, let me see. I did note a couple of things down. I think we've actually talked about everything. I think okay. just just one thing I wanna I wanna throw in. Mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, because we're talking about the whole, it's like, I mean, maybe let me do a closing statement and do I think Aikido is a complete art? Sure. I think when it's done well in the second sense of internally complete, yes, but only when it's done well. In the first sense of comprehensive fighting skill, no. I mean, it's, it's very specialized. Most people who practice it will say that. Um, I will say this as for when people are bringing things in, and this is, this is a little bit of a personal bias of mine, maybe just because a lot of what I see with intensity, right? They say, you know, how do I, even within traditional Aikido, people who do things faster and harder think they're being more practical. That is not necessarily how that works, um, but it sure feels like it. And intensity feels very real. So when you're bringing things in, my opinion is that variability, you know, variable input that you have to react to is more important than intensity. Intensity is also important, not, not disputing that at all but intensity can make things feel real that ne aren't necessarily uh, to give one example if you saw point. if you saw two people wailing on each other with blunt metal swords and you saw two people kind of dancing a bit out of distance with the swords and trying to find openings a lot of people would think the first one looked more realistic if you changed those swords for sharp ones which one would people do right you know, right. So which one, which one is closer to the real? I mean, that's, that's a particular example from weapons, but in general, I think intensity can have that seductive quality, right? Because also it's really fun. Like intense sparring right. is amazing. I love it so much. Oh, it is. 
Yeah. Uh, but it's it sometimes when you bring things in or when you're trying to make your thing more practical, look at what am I actually doing mm-hmm. and how am I training people? What what feedback are they getting? What decisions do they have to make? You know, and I think that that's that's more valuable in some ways to kind of completing the art for whatever purpose you want than saying, okay, well, I think we need to be more practical. So let's really go all out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do the choreography really super fast. Um, yes. Yeah, super fast and hard. We'll judge our success by dislocated elbows. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, well, yeah, the, the, and as you said that, I just want to leave the, the listeners with one question. That is if, is it possible for Aikido to evolve further into a more comprehensive art? And we won't answer that in this show, but just it's something to think about as we, as we exit or as people have listened to this show. Give it some thought. Give it some thought to what your Aikido, what you want from your particular martial journey. Um, and I think we'll probably leave it there. Dan, thank you very much for coming on the show. This has been a great talk. Thank you for having me on. You bet. Take care. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Stay tuned for more episodes. I've got some great stuff on the way very soon. In the meantime, enjoy your training.